grab a hand and pray just a moment. Holy Spirit, thank you for what you're doing tonight and in each of us and the way that you, it's your, it's your desire that we would live in righteousness, peace, and joy. That's your desire, that we would live in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And so we, we pray for that journey out of anything else, out of any pain, out of any problems, out of any type of um, anything besides that noise. Amen. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I I have several things going on in my head right now. I I uh, did uh, a couple of weeks ago. I started a series uh, called "Walking Out of Pain." How many of you were there for that? Yeah. About maybe twenty, thirty percent of you were there. And I want to I want to just finish that today. How many of you were here for Bill's message today about transformation coming out of the uh, book of Proverbs? It's such a great message. I really, um, I'm excited for Bill to, to um, finish that. Um, I, let me just give you a few minutes of review for those of you who weren't here. We talked about the fact that you, can, you can't always help what happens to you, but you can always help what happens in you. How many of you know that? That, the, that you have... By the Holy Spirit, one of the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians 5, is the gift of self-control. You have the fruit of self-control. So you have the ability to control yourself under any circumstances. And when Jesus said, if somebody hits you on the right cheek, give them your left also, I don't think Jesus was saying, just let people beat you up, you know, be a doormat. I really have a high value for doormats. I think he was saying, don't let someone's action be your reaction. Be, be, be self-controlled, be Holy Spirit-controlled. And so um, we're oftentimes in circumstances, especially as children, where we, we can't control what happens to us, but we certainly have complete control over the kingdom that's within, within us, inside of us. And so um, a lot of people spend their life re, um, reducing their life to, to accommodate their, their pain. And I want to talk um, about pain tonight and, and walking out of pain. And I told you five things about pain that you should know, and there's, there's maybe many more than these, but these are the things that came to my mind as I was preparing a couple of weeks ago. Number one, pain is rarely the problem, it's almost always the symptom. How many of you know that we spend a lot of time trying to drown out pain, and, and that's fine if that is the problem, but oftentimes it's the, it's the tip of the iceberg, it's, it, there's roots to it someplace else, and we don't take care of the ecosystem, and, and we, we drowned out the voice. Number two, pain will lead you to the source of your problem. Oftentimes, pain will lead you to the source of your problem. You go to the doctor, and he doesn't do 5,000 tests on you. He said, what's your symptoms? And so you begin to tell him, you know, or him or her, I have pain here, or I have this problem here. And that pain, that, that pain oftentimes leads to a solution. To the, it points to a problem. So pain has a voice, number three. Number four, the level of your pain doesn't determine the depth of your problem. And I illustrated this last uh, two weeks ago when we talked about how many of you have ever had a sliver in your finger. 
that somebody had to dig out. And I, I'm like the biggest baby. Kathy digs slivers out of my fingers all the time because I work in my wood shop. And I'm like, ow! <laughs> She's like, um, maybe you need to go to the doctor and get put out for this. <laughs> then she pulls the sliver out and it's about this big. Have you ever seen? I'm like, no way, you didn't get it all. That thing felt like a log in my hand. So sometimes we, you know, sometimes the pain is great in our life, and yet the problem is not. And, and it can be the opposite also. And the, the last one of what you should know about pain is ignoring pain or being afraid of pain often leads to deeper problems. Some of you know that denial is a beautiful thing, but it tends to, it tends to allow your, your, the thing that's causing your pain, your actual problem, to grow when we run from it. And so we talked about five keys to walking out of pain, and I think we actually got to about two of them. The first one's obvious, trust God. And uh, James 1, consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. How many just love that verse? Yeah, two people in the room. I don't know why I memorized it, but I think it's because I've had so many chances. Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials. And you notice that James says that trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. James says... The trials test your faith. I understand that Peter talked about proven character comes from trials also. But James says that trials, first thing they do is they test our faith and they determine who we trust. How many of you have ever been in a trial where the trial was all about who are you going to trust? Everybody should have their... Uh, those of you who aren't raising your hands, you're either like, you didn't, you didn't know that was what the trial was about. You're like, oh, okay. And... Um, and, and so we talked a lot about the fact that God is, uh, Psalms 50, David put it this way, God said to David, call on me in a day of trouble and I shall rescue you and honor you. And all through the Psalms, God, God calls himself a hiding place that the righteous run to and are safe. And how many of you know it's okay to hide in God? Let, let me make it clear. It's not okay to hide in religion. It's not okay to hide behind 12 verses that... You, you, you memorize to keep your dysfunction going. It's not okay to spiritualize your dysfunction. But it's totally okay, in fact, highly recommended to hide in God. And then, um, and, and this verse, this is another one of those verses, it's kind of a, I have a love-hate relationship with this verse. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except for it's common to all men. Now, I love this verse because pain tends to isolate you. Pain says to you, no one's ever had this problem before. Listen, listen, nobody understands you. How many of you have that voice before? And, and, and uh, the Apostle Paul says, there's no temptation. There's nothing you'll ever go through that isn't common to everybody. And, and then he goes on to say, God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. And so whenever you go through something, you go, you know what, if God... If, if this was too big for me, God would deliver me from it. Then, then the, next, the next part of the verse is, is good too. I like this part. And, and with the temptation, he'll provide a way of escape. How many like that? The only part I don't like about that is it has a comma there. And it finishes with this, so you'll be able to endure it. But with temptation, God will provide a way of escape. Awesome! So you can endure it. I was shared last, or two weeks ago, you know, in uh, the first verse I ever memorized in the Bible was Psalms 23. I, I memorized the Psalms 23 in the King James Bible. Anybody do that? Psalms 23. 
And, and it goes something like this. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Yea. Now that's a bad translation. Ain't nobody say yay if you've ever been through the valley, right? Yay, we get to walk through the valley. That's more like, oh no. And so we talked about, um, we talked about the fact that, that God, God is with you and, and that you know, when, when you go through a trial, God wants you to... When God, when God allows a trial in our life, or let's just say... Let, let, me, just, let, me, put it, let me say this. I didn't say this last time. I believe that there are sources of trials. The first one is, let's just say God. God puts us through a trial, and He's testing our faith, and He's molding us. How many of you know God does that? And I'm not talking about sickness or anything, but God is... How many know God is in the people-building business? And when God puts us through a process, He, and he gives us a promise. When God gives us a promise, how many of you know that from the promise to the palace, there's the process? And, and you, if you get around the process, you can't stay in the palace. So God, God has, when God gives you a big word, how many know there's a big process? If God gives you the same word over and over, <laughs> anyway, so uh, the second temptation, the second kinds of temptation or trials in our life are caused by us. I, I, I can't believe how many times over the years and, and, uh, that people have, talk to me or come in our office and they say, God's trying me. And I'm like, no, no, that's the spirit of stupid. <laughs> now, just because God uses it doesn't mean he caused it. We can't get this mixed up like, God used this trial in my life and I, I did this terrible sin. I, you know, I, I cheated on my taxes and God used it in my life to shape me and therefore it must have been... I'm like, no, 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 you sin. That's called stupid. Are you with me? You did something stupid. God delivered you from it. That didn't validate that what you did is okay. Hello. Or that he caused it. You know, when, when James says, consider all joy when you counter various trials, he's not talking about the ones you cause. Those don't bring joy. Those like, get out of those trials. Those have one purpose. Get delivered. I'm going through something that's shaping me. No, you're not being shaped, dude. You're being destroyed. You need to get out of there. And then we have the kind of temptations that are, you know, of the devil and, and his whole thing there. We don't want to give him too much time tonight, but the devil does tempt people. And we know that he tempted Jesus in the wilderness in Matthew uh, 4 and Luke 4. So we do have an enemy. And so we talked about this, discover the source of your pain. And I, I actually love this part. Nehemiah surveyed the walls. The first thing Nehemiah did when he was rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. By the way, if you don't, if you never read the book of Nehemiah, you should read the whole book, but especially the first eight chapters. Great, great book. And Nehemiah. The name Nehemiah means holy. Uh, means uh, holy spirit. Means comforter. That <laughs> means holy spirit. It's uh, another Hebrew translation. <laughs> Proverbs thirty-two. That's where I put all those. Those are new revelations. <laughs> There's only 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs, by the way. It's next to the book of Hezekiah. <laughs> right after you shouldn't have done that book. Um, but I love Nehemiah. Is, is, um, the short story is he's called to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and restore its gates. 
And the first thing he does is pray. The second thing he does is he surveys the walls. And he makes a list of everything that's wrong with each of the walls. And you can read that in Nehemiah chapter 2. He, he, at, at, he goes out at night on his donkey and he rides the whole, the whole outer perimeter of Jerusalem where the walls are. And he makes a list by what gate, what, what happened at each gate. And he brings the list to the officials and he said, this is the problem right here. This is what we need to clean up. And, you know, I, I think that, you know, if you can't look at the problem... That is not called faith. That's called denial. A lot of people are like, I'm not, you know what? God's my provider. That's why I don't balance my checkbook. Well, it might be God's your provider, or it might be that you were afraid what the balance might look like. If you were afraid of the balance, how many of you understand we've all had those issues, but please just don't call that faith. That's denial. I'm not talking about like spending all your time focusing on your problem, because how many of you know that tends to make it grow? But you need, in order for you to get, get help, you actually have to know what's wrong. Are you following me? Um, and then uh, we had this great insight uh, from the, the word where David talks about, this is still about discovering, your, discovering the source of your pain. David says to himself in chapter 43 and chapter 42 of Psalms, he says this, he says, why are, you just, why are you in despair, O my soul, and why you become disturbed within me? Uh, many, many times throughout the Psalms, David actually speaks to his own soul. You know, oftentimes he tells his soul, worship God. But, but other times he questions his soul. Why are you troubled within me? And I shared the story of my son, Jason, who does a lot of the counseling here. And he was talking about the fact that he sat with somebody who was had been just about to everybody, been to a psychiatrist and, and all over the world and, and uh, pretty famous people, uh, uh, gal. And this is several years ago. And he said when he was in there trying to, when he was in the counseling session trying to help her, he felt like he had this thought. And the thought was, he felt it was from the Holy Spirit, ask her to ask her soul why she's in despair. He didn't even remember the verse in the Psalms. He just didn't have a verse for it. He thought, well, it's just her and I. Let's just try it. So he said, you know, we're going to stop right here. We're going to ask your soul why you're, in, why you're in despair, why you're depressed. She's like, well, <laughs> we've tried everything else. So she said, what do I do? So he said, well, I just want you to say, soul, what's wrong with you? And we're going to wait. So she did that. She said, soul, what's wrong with you? Why are you in despair? Why are you depressed? And they just waited. And he said, it was like within just a couple of minutes, she started to weep. And she heard this inner voice. You know what I'm talking about? Not like an audible voice. But this inner voice inside her began to talk to her about her pain. Things she didn't even remember until this inner voice began to talk to her. And, she, and so he said, what's going on? And she began to tell him these thoughts that she was having from this, this voice from her soul. And he walked her through this. There's, there's some things, and, and, and she left pain-free and wrote him a month later and said, I've, I've never had joy in my life. I've never felt, I've never not had anxiety and depression in my life. She said, I can't remember not having depression in my life. I can't remember a time when I wasn't depressed. And she said, I'm totally, feel, I wake up in the morning feeling joy. I lay there in my bed thinking, I wonder if it's going to come back. She said, it's totally gone. And 
from then on, he began to use that as a tool. It was probably a year later that he actually discovered the verses in the Psalms where David asked his soul, what's wrong with him? Sometimes, you know, uh, this is a really... We live in a fast-paced world, don't we? Do most of you? Like, my world's really fast-paced. And sometimes, you know, we're, we're in pain. You know, we get a sliver in our finger, so to speak, or let's say, it, it, metaphorically, in our soul, and, and it just doesn't seem like we have time to stop and get it out. Like, and it gets infected, and we're like, ah, you know, I don't, I don't even have time to stop long enough to figure out what's wrong with me. And so, um, I think this is a really good... Um, it's, it, you know, I don't want to make a method out of it or, or some kind of a, um, you know, some kind of tradition out of it. But I think it's a really good tool to use with, it, on yourself and on other people when trying to help them out of pain. Um, you know, we, we said that pain often points to the problem. And I, and I want to just say this. I'm going to give you a, a few ideas of what soul pain looks like. You know, when we're talking about pain, we're... You know, there are people that are in physical pain. I, I have, you know, if I asked you to raise your hand if you have back pain, I bet you 10 people in here would raise their hand. that They have some sort of pain in their body that they've had for a long time. So I understand that when we're talking about pain, there's all different kinds of pain. There's financial pain, relational pain. There's, there's mental, spiritual pain. And, you know, we're making broad statements about pain. And so I realized that some, some of what we're sharing tonight, it, it may not directly relate to you, at least in this season of your life, but it may relate to somebody else. Or you may be able to take these, this application and apply it to different areas of your life, even though the application I'm talking about maybe is for your soul. There may be other applications. But let me say this. I want to talk just a minute about soul pain, because I think that depression, anxiety, fatigue, insomnia, things like that, and I've just given you a few, sometimes those are those are symptoms of something else wrong. In other words, sometimes anxiety is a, is a manifestation of something that's like, it's just like when you hit your, you know, if you hit your hand with a, with a hammer and it's, you suddenly feel all this pain, it's like the pain's not the problem. Whatever the damage was done by the hammer is the problem. And I think that there are times when we're treating symptoms in our soul when actually there's a problem in our soul. And so we feel anxious, we feel depressed, and we're, we're treating the depression. I'm like, that's fine, we're treating the pain in our soul, but I wonder if there's something wrong in the soul that, needs to be, that God needs to heal. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? And so sometimes, the way we deal with... I, everybody say sometimes. Okay, so I'm not making a new... This, these aren't new laws to add to our religion, right? So sometimes, the depression, anxiety, fatigue insomnia, these kind of things, confusion, all of these kind of things, sometimes these are, these are symptoms that there's, that there's something wrong, and instead of dealing with what's wrong, we're, we're dealing with the anxiety. You, do, you know, do you know what I mean? Um, um, I, I, I learned this from a, a gal who taught here years ago. She was over our second year school of ministry. Um, she used to teach our students, in fact, I was in class one day when she was sharing um, with our students about living in peace. And she said, you know, when I, she said, I live in peace, and, and if, I, if I have an hour where I lose my peace, I go back and find it. I think it's such a great illustration, and I, from that day on, I, I can't say I've practiced that perfectly. Uh, her name was Jill. Um, but, but I have, I, I took that that lesson from her life, and I said, you know what, 
part of my challenge is, is that in back in those days, it was so long since I had peace, I didn't even know what was wrong. But you know, if you keep short accounts with yourself and with God, if you wake up in the morning and you feel peaceful, and at, at, you know, at 2 o'clock in the afternoon you have anxiety or you're feeling depressed or anything like that, you're, you feel some kind of pain in your soul. If you keep short accounts with yourself, how many of you know you can go, okay, at, when I woke up this morning I was fine. Lunchtime I was doing good. Oh, you know, I remember when that started. You know, I, I had this conversation with somebody and sometimes we're, we're on the run or somebody says something to us. It gets stuck in our spirit. How many of you have ever got something stuck in your spirit? You can't remember it, but it still troubles you because you didn't stop and work it out with God. But if you live in peace all the time, then you're never more than one day from remembering what it is that you need to deal with. But if you wait for days and days and you, you just live in anxiety and depression and, and whatever, whatever, fatigue, if, you, if you're not accustomed to keeping short accounts with yourself, then you can't re even remember what it, when you had peace, the last time you had peace. Does that make sense? And so it's, uh, you know, as a lifestyle, I think it's really important as a lifestyle that we, that, we, that we say, the standard is I live in peace. And if I don't, I stop. Like, I find a place to pull over, if you will. Pull the vehicle of my life over. And it, it may be for five minutes. It may be for five hours. I may need a week to work it out. But whatever it is, I stop and I say, this isn't normal for me. I don't live like this. And part of what happens is that I stack up those kind of things on top of one another. And, you know, by three months down the road, I have, I have five things in my life that, that, that are creating anxiety in me, but I, don't, I can't even remember what they are. It's been so long since I had peace. And so, you know, once you get a breakthrough in your life, once you get to this place where those things are all relieved in your life, how many of you know you just need to, you need to cultivate your orchard? Cultivate your garden. And part of that is keep short accounts with yourself. Um, and, and, and there are several more we talked about. I, I, I want to go on to number three, and that is develop a culture of wholeness around you. Um, this is like, to me, like sterilizing the hospital. I, I remember one time I, I was sick and we were in Africa. We were in the jungle of Africa. And they wanted to take me to the hospital. I wasn't like dying sick. I had an infection. And they're like, you know, we'll take you to the hospital. I'm like, oh, no, no, I'm sorry. You know, I'm not saying all hospitals like that, but jungle hospitals, people go there sick and they leave there dead. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, no. I don't want to be around other sick people, you know. And there are places in the jungle, they don't even believe in germs. And I'm like, no, no, I'm, I'm good. I... I think I'm, I'll, just leave the, I'll just deal with the infection through prayer. Prayer, fasting, and fasting the hospital. I will be fasting the hospital. I, I think it's important that when, we, when we're going through pain, that we, if you will, we sterilize the hospital. And the Proverbs has a lot to say about this. I love these verses. I read them last time. Proverbs 25, 20, like one who takes off a garment on a cold day, or like vinegar on soda, is he, he who sings songs to a troubled heart. That is a great verse for do not listen to country western music when you're hurting. 
Sorry, the country western part was a joke. But the, the point he's making is this. He's saying, you know, when you're in trouble, when you feel pain, there's something in you, like, you like these songs about pain. So, you know, you know my, my wife left, the donkey died, and the crops fell. It just kind of makes you feel like, oh, I feel understood whoever wrote that song talking about me. Man, you know what? You don't need to have someone write songs about your pain. You need to be around people who have answers for your pain. I love this one, Proverbs 25, 19, like a, like a bad tooth or unsteady foot is confidence in a faithless man in times of trouble. Faithless. You don't need to be around people that have no faith for your pain. Listen, how many of you know the old adage, misery loves company? When you, when you have a problem, the last thing you need is to be around a whole a bunch of other people who have the same problem as you do. Well, it makes me feel comforted. It keeps you in your pain. You know, when I get around someone who's healthy, I'll feel worse. Yeah, you will until you get rid of why you have pain. You know, if you're, if you're broke, no big deal. But if you live broke, like in poverty, the last thing you want to be is around somebody prosperous. They're talking about how much they give and, and how they help this person and, and how they have these nice things. You're like, you know what? Rich people are all evil. We need to tax the heck out of those people. They got their money evilly and when they need to be double taxed, triple taxed. I, I know this for a fact. I grew up in poverty. I couldn't stand rich people. I had no idea how they got that money. But if I didn't have it, they must have got it evilly. The truth is, is that if you are in poverty, the best people to hang around with are people who are, are good with money. And I'm just talking about money right now, but it's, it is a great illustration. Like, like, the last person you want to be around when you're like, you know what, I just, you know, I never have money and, you know, things are so hard and the government, you know, and it's uh, administration, it's, uh, it's everybody but you. It's everybody but you. This pain is not my fault. And then you hang around people who are happy about the economy. They're happy about it. And you're like, you know, that just makes me feel worse when I'm around you. Yeah, but if you pick up why they're not in pain, you'll come out of pain. Lamentations 3.51 says this, My eyes bring pain to my soul because of the daughters of my city. You know, I'm not against watching the news. I watch the news. You know, I watch it on, typically I watch it on Monday for one hour. It pretty much catches me up for the month. I turn it on the next Monday and they're talking about the same thing. So whatever. But, you know, and I think that we, you know, you, you hear more bad news. You have access to more bad news in one week than your great-grandfather would know in his whole lifetime. So we are the most overexposed people to problems in the world. And how many of you understand that all the statistics, social statistics, are, are, are developed around what's wrong? You know, there can be 92% employment, but they call it the unemployment rate. Why? Because they don't want to make 8% of the people feel bad. That's politically incorrect. See, it feels a lot better if I'm unemployed to know there's a high unemployment rate. 
But high unemployment means that 92% of the people aren't employed. It just feels bad when I don't have a job. I want to know other people don't have a job. So unemployment rate went up by one-tenth of one percent. It's going up like crazy. I mean, high unemployment rate for our nation is 10%. That means 90% of the people are working. Don't tell me 90% of the people are working when I don't have a job. Makes me feel painful. Listen, don't drink your way out of the pain. Get a job. <laughs> this is so deep. Chris, where did you get this revelation? Came on me, whoosh. Hang around other people who ain't got a job and talk about how bad unemployment rate is. <laughs> Whatever, you know. I don't know. You, you know, you read the newspapers. I understand there's a little bit of good news. Like once in a while, you know, 49ers win. I mean, hallelujah, the newspaper's having a conversion. But almost everything you read in every, every news source is negative. You, you, you understand, it's not the news that's the problem. If good news sold, people would be buying it. I'll tell you, if CNN, it, you know, it, listen, look, look at all the news outlets. You think there would be enough good news for one outlet? to become trillionaires. Only problem is, people don't want to hear good news. And we do. We like testimonies. But why? Because the world, you know, if you're like, if you're sinning, you want to know someone kills somebody. But, well, I didn't do anything that bad. I just lied. I didn't murder anybody. I didn't molest anybody. I didn't, you know, abduct a child. It's called relative righteousness. Like, I want to know other people are worse than me. I want to know other people are poorer than me. I, I feel good because they're so bad. And how many of you know that our example is Christ? Not each other. <laughs> this is a good word right here. So, that's good. Um, we're talking about something. We're talking about developing a culture of wholeness. Sorry. I forgot where we were. Um, Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Actually, it's part of the Old Testament law. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. How many of you know not loving you is a bad plan? You not loving you is a bad plan. Let me put it this way. It's an insult to God. He created you. You didn't create yourself. So you not loving you is a really bad plan. You having a pattern of not liking you is a bad plan. Calling humility, calling it humility when you don't like yourself, that's not true. That's not called humble. Listen, when you're always thinking, man, I'm bad. I'm, you know, I'm not as good as so-and-so. I'm... Uh, you know, how many of you know that if you're thinking bad things about yourself, you're still thinking about yourself? You're still the center of attention. The goal isn't to think less of yourself, it's just to think less, just think, think of yourself less. 
So, so Third John says this, and I spent I spent four weeks on this. Uh, this is la- last year. Third John uh, two says, "Beloved, I pray that in all respects you prosper and be in good health, even as your soul prospers." Beloved, I pray that in in um, in all respects that you'd prosper and be in good health, even as your soul prospers. How many of you understand that if you demean or oppress or reject your soul, that you actually undermine the foundation of prosperity and health? I wonder how many times people are sick. I wonder, I wonder how, what percentage of people are sick if they have something physically wrong with them. They really do have something physically wrong with them because they actually oppress their soul. And so people, you know, they do all kinds of crazy stuff to, to be spiritual. And sometimes when we, when we say spiritual, we, we think of spiritual people, you know, they, they're the ones that have the greatest disciplines. How many know you can't discipline yourself into spirituality? It, it's funny to me that Abraham, uh, Abraham, Adam and Eve are in the garden, and they're naked in the garden, and they eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when they eat the fruit, they feel guilty. You understand religion has more rules than God? You get away from God, you end up with more rules, not less. How many of you know if there was anything wrong with them being naked in the garden, God would have told them? But as soon as they eat the fruit, they feel guilty for something that isn't even wrong. And so it's important that, that we, we realize that we, we have to take care of our soul. We have, to, we have to, first of all, we have to have a high value for our soul. Deuteronomy says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. How many of you know that all of me needs to love God? My, my, my spirit, my soul, and my body. And that my emotions are part of my soul. I'm an emotional being. God's the most emotional person in the Bible. He gets mad, he, gets, he laughs, he, he weeps, he... he, he he dances over you. He rejoices. How many of you know that? Okay. We need to develop a plan to get well. So first we need, the first thing we need to do is we need to, we need to realize that we need to trust God, obviously. The second thing we need to do is we need to discover our source of our pain. Number three, sterilize the hospital so that we don't get sick from someone else's virus. I, I don't know, you know, how many times, you know, how many of us have children and, you know, somebody gets the flu and then, you finally get them well, and the other kid gets the flu, and you finally get them well, and, then, and pretty soon, and they just keep passing it around. It's like, uh, bad plan. And, and I, think that, I, I think that people that are in pain tend to be like that. I, th- I think they tend to like, it tends to be like a virus that is contagious. Um, and so we need to sterilize the hospital. But um, I, I want to talk for a couple of minutes about developing a plan to get well. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. We, you know... You, you understand that mourning is the way to comfort. You might mourn for a few minutes. You might mourn for uh, uh, a week. If you've lost a, a, a spouse, you might mourn for a year. 
I understand that people get stuck in mourning, but how many of you know that oftentimes we need to mourn with those who mourn so we can rejoice with those who rejoice? And sometimes we're trying to get people out of grief when actually they need to go through it, not around it. I shared this example last time. In fact, most of this I've shared already with you. Um, I, I was, my, my son came over and he had three kids with him and he was, he was by himself just with the three kids and, and he said, Dad, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go uh, store and uh, I'll be back in a little while. And so he, he left and I'm watching the three kids and everything's going well and they're down in the rec room and, and then they, they end up in some sort of argument and fight. And so Riley, my, my uh, middle granddaughter, comes running up and she's screaming, and you know when kids scream, I don't know, especially if you don't have kids around all the time, um, she screams like someone cut off one of her legs. So she runs upstairs, and she's like, <laughs> she's hyperventilating, and I'm like, oh my God, something terrible happened, you know. <laughs> I'm like, what's wrong? And I'm like, oh my God, this is terrible. So, so I, go, I take her downstairs, and she's like, <laughs> she's still crying, and... You know, I got her two brothers there, and they hit me, and, you know, and so I, I'm interrogating them. There has been an injustice here, and I'm going to get to the bottom of it, and I have separated them, and I am asking, interrogating both the other two brothers, and she's still, you know, you know crying. And my son gets home, and he, he, you know, he hears his daughter crying, so he goes downstairs, and, and I've got him lined up, you know, I'm like, this is like, okay, we want the facts, and only the facts, and who's your attorney, you know? My son's all, hey, Dad, what, what, what are you doing? I'm, we got a problem here. I'm working it out. We've had an injustice. I'm trying to get to the bottom of how this all started. He's all, Dad, come here. I'm like, yeah, he says, Dad, she'll be fine in five minutes. Just have them all say they're sorry. I said, oh, son, they don't even know who did, what are they going to ask? Dad, just, sorry works great, just. Have them all say they're sorry and forgive one another. We're not sure what the offense is, son. (laughs) Dad, trust me. Just trust me on this one. So we do that. And literally, like, it probably wasn't five minutes. And she's out playing. Everybody's having fun. And he said, Dad, you know know that verse says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I said, yeah, I understand. Son, please don't. I'm older. He said, Dad, kids have that built into them. Like, they will cry over something and act like it's the, the whole world's come to an end. They'll do that for ten minutes. They get it out. That weeping thing, they get that out. The pain goes away, and they're fine. Like, they, you don't need a court case. I'm, I understand that, son. I was trying to teach him another lesson. Another verse here I'm looking up. So sometimes, sometimes we, we just need to let people mourn. Sometimes the natural process gets... Um, I hope I can say this without offending you. Sometimes the natural process is I mourn to be comforted. Gets, it, it gets sabotaged by a religious culture that says, you better act happy all the time. And, 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 and please, I do understand, like, walking around depressed is not a good plan, and getting stuck in mourning forever is a bad plan. But the other side of that is, we live in a country that doesn't do pain. 
So when someone's in pain, we think it's our, we are obligated to make you laugh. How are you doing now? Hey, no, God, and it's like, ah, like that. Exactly. <laughs> Let me just uh, take about 10, 12 more minutes and finish this. I, this. These are things I didn't get a chance to do much. In Joshua chapter 1, Joshua has just been told that Moses, his, his best friend, his spiritual father, his, and the leader of all of Israel, the greatest leader, at least up till that time in the Bible, is dead. And what Moses couldn't do, God is commissioning Joshua to do. Moses was commissioned to take the people out of Egypt and into the Promised Land. And the most famous, greatest leader Joshua knows could not get the people into the Promised Land. This is not a good day. He loses his spiritual father and he gets commissioned to do what his father could not do, which was take the people in the Promised Land. On the same day, he learns he's dead and he learns that he is going to be responsible to do what his, what his famous father could not do. And so you, you can imagine the normal response would be discouragement, depression, grief, and anxiety. And God gives him the formula for success, if you will. He, and, and he goes through and he says to him several times, do not be discouraged, not be dismayed. Let me read you a few of the verses. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. This is verse 6. Only be strong and very courageous, and be careful to do all of the law which Moses, my servant, has commanded you. Do not turn from the, from the left or to the right, that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Listen to this. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. It shall not leave your speech. But you shall meditate on it. It's interesting, this word meditate, and there's, by the way, there's a few words for meditate in the Hebrew. This word meditate means to sing or talk to yourself about God. Some of you wouldn't want to sing it. It would get worse. So you just talk to yourself about it. But you shall meditate on it day and night so that you be careful. Why am I meditating? Why am I talking to myself? Why am I singing to myself? You know, a lot of the songs we sing, they're actually like meditations, aren't they? You ever, have you ever been in, in, a, um, in a situation where you don't know what to do? And you find a song coming to your mind and you're just singing the song? Have you ever found yourself singing the answer to your problem? I'm, I mean, I'm literally saying you find yourself singing it. Like, you're, you're, you're a couple hours into like, what do I do, what do I do? And you realize you're humming this song. And the song is actually the answer to the question you're asking, what should I do? That's a meditation. That's talking to yourself about the answers of God. And then he goes on to say this, um, for then you will make your way, oh, uh, let me read it because I, I like how it reads. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so you'll be careful to do according to all that's written in it. For then, get this, you will make your way prosperous. And then you will have success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Listen to this. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And by the way, that phrase, do not tremble or be dismayed, I think it's actually three times in that chapter. Do not tremble or be dismayed. 
Now, how many of you have ever been afraid in your life? You've ever had the emotion of fear? How many of you feel like you totally have control over it? So when God says, don't be afraid, you're like, okay. You're scared of death. God goes, stop it. You're like, oh, thank you. That helped. Anybody else up there? Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. The word dismayed means discouraged or depressed. Stop being depressed. Okay. Thank you. I feel so much better now. It's like when people say, we need to get hungry for God. Oh, thank you. That helped me. We just need to be radical for God. Oh, thank you. You know, if you're, if you're not hungry for God, someone says, you need to be hungry for God. Okay. Thank you. I feel so much better. Now, if somebody gives you some tools, it's great. But when you're not hungry and someone tells you you're not hungry and then says you need to be hungry, it's like, thank you. I feel guiltier now because now you know and I know that I'm not hungry and you just told me I should be. And... <laughs> How many of you know what I'm talking about? You've done it to other people or you've done it or, or people have done it to you. You're like, you need to get radical for God. Yeah, okay. You need to start having passion for God. Oh, that helps me a lot. Yeah. I just turned my passion button right on. I mean, there are things you can do, like watching other people be passionate for God helps. Having some tools of why I'm not passionate helps. But telling me to be passionate, that doesn't make me passionate. Unless God says it. And so this part's called get a grip. Now, do you understand? What, you didn't get to hear the whole teaching unless you listened to two weeks ago. But I spent an hour talking about here's tools to walk out of pain. So, I'm sorry, you're not getting, you, you, got, you got 20 minutes of that. But... Here's the point. At some point, you have to get a grip. And I'll tell you, I, I, I know this from personal experience from laying on a couch for five months. At some point, you have to get a grip. At some point, you have to stop free-falling. Now, now I, I, I remember I told you that, you know, mourning is God, grief, the mourning endures through the night, but joy comes in the morning. You know, all, all this stuff. I, I'm giving people permission to, to grieve, to mourn, to look for the pain, all those things. Are you, you get that. So in the context of that, I, I, I understand that, that you know, my, my, my thing 15 years ago would be, get over it. My favorite phrase, get over it. Okay, now I say it last. <laughs> get over it. And when God speaks to you, and he goes, don't be afraid, something happens that humans can't do. When God says, don't be afraid, there is grace to not be afraid. When God says you stop being depressed, it's not like me saying, stop being depressed. When God says, stop being depressed, His word doesn't return to Him void. And in the word, stop being depressed, there is the ability to not be depressed. When, when, when Peter is in the boat and Jesus is on the water, and they think, you know, they all think it's a ghost, which is very interesting. And Peter says, you know, if, if it's really you, the Lord says, it's me. 
you know, they still can't see him. There's a storm. And Peter says, if it's you, tell me to come. Now, you know, Peter, he, he's not the sharpest guy in the Bible. Because if a ghost can talk to you, he can surely say, come, stupid. Watch me drown this guy, fellow ghost. I propose to you, when Jesus said, come, there's something about the word that you can walk on. Like the ability to walk on water happens when Jesus said, have you ever tried to walk on water? I'll tell you, we went to Lake Tahoe and a pond froze over and I told the kids, I said, you can watch me walk on water. And I walked across the pond once and I told the kids, you tell everybody, your father walked on water. And I said, oh, dad, you're not walking on water. So I said, I could even dance on water. And all of a sudden it broke and I fell through. They were all teenagers. They thought that was very funny. When God, I mean, God doesn't have to say, I mean, he can, but he doesn't have to say a lot. He can say, come. If it's really you, tell me to come. And when I, when God says, come, something happens and I'm able to do what I couldn't do before he said, come. When God says, stop it, don't be depressed. I could say it a hundred times to you, but when God says, don't be depressed, there is grace given to you to not be depressed. Now, here's the part. You have to get out of the boat. You say in the boat, it's like, come. I'm going to wait right here until I see clear glass the, you know, the, that I, I read about in the book of Revelation. It isn't written yet. <laughs> I'm not getting out until I see the water freeze over. It's like, no, no, you're going to be there till hell freezes over if you don't get out of the boat. So when God says, don't be afraid, just because God says, don't be afraid, how many of you understand? You have to take that. You have to grab onto that word. You have to say, I receive that word. You have to, you have to get out of your, okay, I'm, okay, this giant is, you have, to, you have to receive it. That's what I'm trying to say. Secondly, when God says, be strong and courageous, when God tells you to be strong and courageous, how many understand that as soon as he says that, it's time for you to be courageous? I remember one of my uh, very favorite stories, I, I haven't told it for a long time, but I used to tell it all the time. We took a bunch of kids to Santa Cruz um, many years ago our, on a, um, our, our, our youth group. We took to Santa Cruz. I, I don't forget how many kids were with us, like 30 kids. And one of our kids was a foster child who lived with us, and her name was Dee. And Dee was 13, but she had a body of an 18-year-old. And, she's, and we're at, we're at um, Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk. Anybody ever been there? It's a beach with a boardwalk and sand. And, and it was Muscle Beach Day. And they have this concrete, um, it's like a stage, out in the middle of the beach. It stands about 15 feet off the beach. And they do, it's, you know, it's, it's, um, it's a stage. So they do different things there. Music, have bands there. And this day they had Muscle Beach Day. So... You know, there, were, there was bodybuilders up there on, on the stage. And the beach was just packed with people, which it usually is in the summer. And Dee and D was running along the beach. And I was, I was, the kids were all playing on the rides. And we had had them for three days. And I was like, anyone's ever been a youth pastor's had 
kids for 24 hours a day for three days. I'm like, oh, Lord, I just need a break. So I was sitting underneath the stage, is what you do when you have a body like this on the Muscle Beach Day. <laughs> and actually, my body looked a lot better than this, so you can imagine how... Anyway, so... Uh, so I look out on the beach, and Dee is running along the beach, and there's a man in full motorcycle leathers. You know leathers? Like, um, like, I'm talking about a coat, leathers, everything. It's about, I don't know, 95 degrees out. He's got full black leathers on. And he's running, and they're running along the beach, and he's yelling something at her. It's long ways away. There's all this noise. The PA system's right above us. And I'm watching, and I'm thinking, well, and she's yelling something back. And so they start running towards us, and they're running over people who are on blankets, and, I mean, just, you know, totally, like, disregarding anybody on the ground. And, and... And they're running, and I, and I get up on my knees. I'm like laying against the pole, and I get up on my knees, and I'm watching this. And as they get closer, I can hear him saying, I love you. I love you. I'm taking you with me. And I'm thinking, you'll bring her back, you know. <laughs> she lives with us. You'll bring her back. Trust me. <laughs> this would be the opposite of an amber alert, you know what I mean? So she comes running over, and, she, and they're running towards me. And as he runs towards me, she's saying, Get away from me! Get away from me! And he's saying, I love you! I love you! And, 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 you know, I mean, like, this guy's completely out of it. And she's just out of it in fear. And my heart starts beating. Have you ever had your heart, you get, you get so afraid, you can't make your limbs work? <laughs> like, you cannot make your limbs work. Like, my heart starts pounding. And he comes, and she, she sits in the sand, drops in the sand right next to me. She has like a, uh, I don't know what you call it, like a halter top, strap top on. And he grabs her by the straps, and he's shaking her, and he's going, I love you, I love you, I want to take you with me. And, and, I, and I'm thinking, I'm not thinking. <laughs> he's shaking her, I, I mean, and everything in me is like, I know I'm supposed to be doing something, but I can't move. And the Lord says, tell him about me. I'm like, this is a very bad time for evangelism. Chris Overstreet wouldn't do that. Well, he probably would. He's the most courageous person I know besides Tracy Evans. And so he's shaking her. And, 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 and I hear, keep hearing this voice inside my mind. Tell him about me. Tell him about me. And I'm, I'm happy. You ever argue with yourself? I'm like, no, 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 no I'm not doing that. And, and he says, as he's shaking her, who is this guy? And No, no, he's shaking her, and she says, this is my dad, to him. And so I think, well, it's, I need to do something. So I grab his arm. As soon as she said, he's my dad, I grab his arm. I said, knock it off. <laughs> I think it was more like, knock it off. <laughs> I was going to be, I was going to tell the story honestly. He drops her in the sand and he grabs me. He grabs me and, and he's shaking me. He has me off the ground. I have my knees bent. He has me off the ground and he's shaking me. And he goes, I love her, I love her. I'm taking her with me. And I, I'm, I, can't, I can't form words. I can't, I'm serious. I cannot form words. 
And I hear this voice, tell them about me, tell them about me. I'm, boo. And he, while he's shaking me, he goes, what are you doing here? While he's shaking me, out of the blue. What are you doing here? I said, yeah, 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 you, you. Pastor, but you, pastor is what I am. When I got out the word pastor, he drops me in the sand. And he steps back about, I don't know, 10, 12 feet, maybe from here to the front row. He steps back, and I'm still, I'm on my knees. And, and, he, and he keeps saying, pastor, pastor. And, and this voice says, tell him about me. I'm like, no, we're good now. <laughs> no. And, the, and the, then, right over his head, I've only had this happen two times in my entire life, so... I could act like it happens to me all the time, like, like I'm Bob Jones, but it, it doesn't. Over his head, I see a TV screen, like, like the only way I can describe it, like a TV screen. And, and I see a movie of his life. And the Lord says, okay, just tell him about that. And the first thing I see is I see, um, I see, um, I see a, a, a young man... And he's standing, he's at a funeral, and they're, they're burying, they're putting uh, someone in, in a casket, in, the casket in the ground. And I don't know how I know it, but I know it's him, and I know it's his dad. I said, your dad died last year. I don't even know how I knew it was last year. Your dad died last year, and you think it's your fault. He goes, yeah. He goes like this, yeah. Now, the Muscle Beach platform's right here. We're underneath. Right? We're right underneath. You can see right there. So when he's shaking me and doing all that stuff, people stop watching the bodybuilders and they're watching us. Now, I'm completely unaware of it. Like, people are gathering like, there's going to be a fight. This ought to be awesome. And so, and I, so I go, you, you, your dad died last year and you think it's your fault. He goes, yeah. And then I, the scene changes, and I see an old woman, and she's in a hospital, and this young, this young man is standing by her bed. And I go, and your mom's in the hospital right now. And she's dying, and you think that's your fault. He goes, dude, you are freaking me out. So he says, you're freaking me out. I'm freaking you out. Okay, this is good. And the scene changes again, like on this movie, it's almost like they're showing commercials on this movie screen, and I, and I see um, um, a steeple, like a little house in the prairie, white steeple, and I see this little boy, uh, probably seven, eight, nine years old, and I see him go to the front and receive Jesus. And I go, when you were eight years old, or however old it was, when you were eight years old, you went up front in this little prayer chapel, little white chapel, and you received Jesus Christ as your Lord. He's like, dude, you are freaking me out. Now he starts bawling. I mean, he isn't crying. He's wailing. So I get up, and I go over to him, and the Lord says, go, 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 lead him to me. So I go over to him, and I'm, I'm standing over, we're like this close, and I'm yelling. I have no idea why. <laughs> you need Jesus! He goes, oh no! He's yelling. I say, pray this prayer. He said, all right. So, all right, he said. Jesus, Jesus, I need you in my life. And when we get about 10 words of the prayer out, he stands up and he takes off running. Like towards the beach. I'm like, oh, that's good. He's gone. 
This is exactly how it happened. The Lord says, go after him. I said, no, I'm not going to do that. This is a God's truth. My body goes after him. I'm telling, like, I don't believe in being Holy Spirit possessed, but it happened to me. I'm running after him and I'm saying, no, I'm not doing this. I'm running after the guy and I have this thought, what am I going to do when I catch him? You know, like, what do I catch up to him? Like, you need Jesus. I didn't. But when I catch up to him, my body jumps on him. This is a true story. I tackle him in the sand. People are moving everywhere because we're just running over people and scattering and I jump on him, pound in the sand and we're in the sand and I'm just close to my, you need Jesus, I know. He gets about three or four sentences of a prayer out. He jumps up, he takes off running again. I'm like, no way. My body goes after him. This is an absolute true story. All of my students, all of my youth group are watching from the boardwalk. They're like, I tackle him three times in the sand. The last time, I ta- he's heading for the water, like he's out of his mind, and he's heading for the water, I'm thinking, and he's on the, and he's like right where the water I- edges, I'm thinking, good, he'll drown himself, you know, raise him from the dead or something. And I, and the Lord's go after him, you know, I can't swim. I tackle him right on the, on the, on the border, uh, right on the beach, right on the water's edge. I tackle him there, and I'm screaming at him, you need Jesus. He's wailing, I know, I know, pray this prayer with me. He prays the prayer, he gets, gets halfway through it or something. Jumps up, he takes off running again. I look over, he's running along the beach, and there's a whole motorcycle gang there. I'm like, no. No, I am not doing it. He gets, I don't know, maybe, maybe from here to the wall, a little bit further away, and he stops, and he turns around, and he goes, You! I say, Yeah! You pray for me! All right, what's your name? He lifts up his belt, and on his big, just great big belt buckle, he has Philip. His name on the belt buckle. My name's Philip! You pray for me! All right! And that was the end of the whole story. I've never seen him before. I've never seen him since or anything. I think one of these days I keep thinking, one of these days I'm going to tell the story and Philip's going to come walking up and go, remember that beach thing? I'm like, vaguely. <laughs> and and I, just want to, I just want to end with this part. This, that experience taught me something. And I've actually had, I've, I've had about four or five experiences like that, very similar like that. And what I mean by like that is where, where I absolutely did not have the courage to do something, and absolutely, God came in and did something to me where I felt, I know this sounds ridiculous, but I felt like Samson. I felt like indestructible. We were being chased in a car for uh, this another story for another time. But, and the Lord said, before we were chased, again with a whole bunch of kids, 100 miles an hour, guy trying to kill us on the freeway. Right before we get chased, the Lord says, in my mind, Peace be with you, and no harm shall come to you. Now this is before there was any problem. Five seconds later, this guy tries to hit us. Five seconds after that. And Kathy can tell you, I felt like I was in a bubble 
that couldn't be touched. You know when people say, talk about martyrs, could you be martyred for Christ? You know, have you ever thought about that? Like, what would I do? Someone put a gun to my head, you know? You, you, if you're anything like me, you think of your human courage. You're like, well, maybe could I do that? Could I, could I deny, would I deny the Lord? I, I got to tell you something. After those things happen to me, I'm like, something supernatural happens to you that isn't you. That totally infects and affects you, and you act differently than you ever would. Like, as long as you live for the Lord, you could totally die for Him, because when the time comes, He'll go, be brave. He'd go, be brave. They're going to kill you, just be brave. And, some, and I'm telling you, this is, uh, this is my final point. And something would happen to you that you can't control. Oh, maybe you could not receive it. I don't know. I don't want to make too much of a sovereign thing out of it. But it feels sovereign where when God goes, be courageous, you don't go, well, you know, tell me 14 reasons how I'm going to do that. Something happens and you can walk on the water. And it really is true what Paul said in Corinthians when he said, you can't, if God, if God takes you through a trial... You can get through it because he's with you. And it isn't a theological thing like, okay, you're strong enough. Come on, buddy. Work it up. You're a Christian. I honestly don't think it has anything to do with that. I think it has everything to do with, he's saying, if you will just trust God, something that you can't do, you can't get out of this depression, you can't get out of being afraid, you can't suddenly become courageous, you can't suddenly become passionate. But when God says, be passionate, something happens in you, and you're suddenly, you're passionate. And all I did was be at the right place at the right time, hear the word and go, okay. And something takes me over, and I understand there's a whole other side to this, but something possesses me when I live for God on a daily basis. And I go, what happens if I ever went through that? And God goes, you would be living on another dimension, and you wouldn't have any you wouldn't have anything to worry about. Because put your hope, uh, Peter said this, put your hope completely on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is very difficult to look at tomorrow's problems, or let's, let's, let's be positive. It's difficult to look at tomorrow's challenges with today's grace. Because whenever you look at tomorrow's challenges with today's grace, it creates pain. Especially if you're going from glory to glory and God's promoting you. Because you have grace for today, and you don't have tomorrow's grace till you get to tomorrow. But when you get to tomorrow, there'll be grace for tomorrow. Because God is the God. <laughs> God is the God of the past, the present, and the future. And when you get to the future, He will meet you there, and He will give you everything you need to get, not just through it, but victoriously through it. Would you stand? I want to I pray for people to come out of pain. And I, uh, when I was, uh, we, were, we were worshiping tonight, I just felt like I just needed a few minutes alone. And I just turned around and just 
do what I do sometimes, just kind of put my head in the chair. Just I kept having all these pictures come to my mind. And I, I want to share uh, the pictures real quickly. And then um, I, I've, never, I've never done this before, so I, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. But I, uh, the first picture I had, very vivid pictures, I had a picture of railroad cars. There was a, a train with several cars connected. And there was, there was railroad cars that weren't connected. And I saw this large train backing up and reconnecting with the railroad cars. And, I, and, I, and I, I, I actually asked the Lord, I said, what is that? And the Lord said, those, those cars are people who have been disconnected from the body. And I brought them here tonight to reconnect to the engine so that they can have forward motion. And they feel stuck because they are, they are everything they're supposed to be, but they're not connected to the engine and to the rest of the, the body, if you will. I'm just going to read these and then we'll, we'll pray. I, 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 saw, um, I saw somebody else that actually came in another picture. It wasn't an open vision like I described to you, but it's just pictures in my mind that were just coming without asking for them. I saw some people cutting their wrists, and I saw that they were in great pain in their soul, and it was coming from violating their own virtues. In other words, um, it's kind of a... I'll just tell you what I, what I think it is. This, this part's a complete interpretation. I saw somebody um, that was, uh, being, was sexually promiscuous, and they had been taught from the time they were little that that was wrong, and they were violating their own virtues, and they were beginning to hate themselves for doing it. And it had been, it's a girl, it might be many girls, but it was a girl, and, and she was cutting herself. And somebody else, for the same reason, was, had anorexia, breaking their own values. And, and you, know, you, you, you just actually hate yourself because you say, this is a standard. It's not someone else put a standard on you. It's the standard you have in you, and you're not living by your own standard. And therefore, you hate yourself for it. And I want to tell you a couple more, and, I'm, um, and then I'm going to give you um, something the Lord gave me, and then we're just going to pray. The last one um, that I saw as far as these kind of things is uh, I saw someone steal a quite a large amount of money a couple months ago from the business you worked for, and you got away with it. But God said, I, I, I saw you. And you don't want to take that money because you're going to reap what you sow if you don't take it back because I'm giving you a call to repentance. And so God says, take the money back. And you think that you're going to go to jail, but God says they're going to forgive you. He says that he's ordered them to forgive you. Um, and so, um, I've never had that before. Um, and, and, and this is what the Lord tell me, told me to say, and I, I, this is something I believe too. Um, oftentimes, people get... They... Uh, They don't understand the cross, and they think that Jesus died for mistakes. Sin means that you did it on purpose. You, you can't sin on purpose. You know, if you back up, uh, uh, if you're backing up your car and you, you run over somebody, and you didn't see him, how many know that's an accident? How many know there'll be repercussions, like you'll feel sorry, all of that thing? But how many know you didn't do that on purpose? 
Like, you don't have to answer to God for that. You didn't, Jesus didn't die for that. Like, you did it on accident. That's why it's called an accident. If somebody's walking down the sidewalk and you're angry with them and you drive up on the sidewalk and run over and break their leg, how many of you know that's a sin? And, and this is why it's important. Oftentimes, people don't understand that Jesus died for sins, not for mistakes. And therefore, they say, well, I can't ask for forgiveness. I did this on purpose. I'm like, exactly. That's what sin is. You did it on purpose. You knew it was wrong. You did it anyway. That's what sin is. And that's why Paul says in Romans that when the law came, that sin increased because now you knew it was wrong and you did it anyway. Are you following me? So what I'm getting at is this, is that tonight... You, you, those folks that, that have these, these conditions, you know, bulimia, cutting the wrists, you know, stole money, all these kind of things, there's, there's probably a lot more. You're, you're like, Jesus could never forgive me. It's like, no, no, this is what Jesus died for. Listen, you don't need to punish yourself. He was already punished. Like you're paying for the groceries twice. You just need to take your soul pain, give it to him. His burden is light. His yoke is easy. You, you get the idea. This is what... This is what this is what being a believer, following Jesus, is all about. You don't wash up to come to Him. And so would you bow your head for a minute, and would you take the cameras off the crowd, please? Take the cameras off the crowd, please. Close your eyes for a minute. If you have any of that stuff going on that I named, would you raise your hand? Let me tell you what I'm doing. I'm not going to have you, look, I'm not gonna have you come forward. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm right where you are, I'm going to have you raise your hand. Why am I doing that? Because First John says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not just forgive us, but cleanse us. So if that's you, when you raise your hand, you're saying, and I'm not going to have you say it out loud, but when you raise your hand, you're saying, that's me, I sin, I want, I want to be right with God. Okay, so that, that's all I'm going to have you do, and I'm going to pray for you right where you are, where everybody, well, everybody's hands, heads are bowed. Do you understand? And eyes are closed. Okay, so everybody, keep your, your eyes closed and your head bowed for the sake of privacy for these people. We're, it's not, we're not here to humiliate them. But if that's you, any of those things I mentioned, would you raise your hand, please? Would you raise your hand? Just raise it high. Okay, don't be ashamed of it. Okay, people all over raising their hands all over the, the congregation. And people watching by iBethel TV, just, you know, you, you obviously you don't have to raise your hand. But just connect your heart with what I'm saying right now. Those of you that have your hand up, just keep, everybody keep your head down. I'm going to pray for you right now. I'm going to pray for you. And first of all, I want to say this. And this is by the authority that Jesus gave me when he told me about this word tonight. He said to tell you that he forgives you. And, so, and he said that I was to tell you, you are forgiven and that you are released from your sin. Did you get that? You're released from your sin. And so I just tell you right now, you're forgiven, you're released from your sin, He's forgiven you. And here's the second thing He told me, you need to forgive yourself. This is part two. You need to forgive yourself. And so in your, you know, I don't want you to yell it out because I, I, I don't want you to be humiliated, but I want you just to say quietly right there, Jesus, I receive your forgiveness and I forgive myself. Remember, you're not you, by not forgiving yourself, you're telling Jesus what you did on the cross isn't good enough for me. So I want you just to forgive yourself right there. Just forgive yourself. Excellent. Okay. Just leave your hands up. I'm going to pray for you. Holy Spirit, you said that we had the ability to forgive sins, John 20, and you told me to forgive them, and we've done that. 
And you said that you would cleanse them from all unrighteousness. You would cleanse them from the reason why they have pain. From people who are cutting themselves to all, all these different things. People who are trying to reconnect. People who stole things. Lord, I thank you that you are cleansing them from the real core root reasons why those things happen in their lives. And Lord, we just release right now Holy Spirit to cleanse them right now. I just see this waterfall flowing down over you. Like, this is a prophetic statement that God is cleansing you with this washing of the water of His Word. And it's coming like a waterfall over you right now. And I just release that to you in the name of Jesus. Everybody watching by iBethel TV, same thing. We just release that over you right now in Jesus' name. And we say, go free. We release you to joy. And that the season of mourning, the season of, of uh, deep regret and dread, I, I, I feel there's a spirit of dread on some people, that that spirit of dread would be gone right now in Jesus' name. And every evil spirit that's taken, that's, that has been attracted to these wounds in your life, we command those spirits to leave you right now, and we release the comforter to comfort you in this season of restoration in Jesus' name. Now go ahead and put your hands down. Everyone can look up. You're in a situation you need courage. Like, you need courage that isn't human. Would you raise your hand? You're in, you need courage that isn't human. It, because of the situation that you're in. Yes. And overflow room, I Bethel TV. We just release courage over you right now. I, this, is, this is like Jesus. I understand I'm just his son. But this is like Jesus saying, Come. Get out of the boat. It's like God in, in Joshua 1. Be strong and courageous. I released that mantle that was released over Joshua. That anointing, that grace that was released over Peter when he walked on the water. That grace that whatever happened to me at Santa Cruz, whatever that is, whatever you call that, I release that to you in the name of Jesus. That you would be strong and courageous and that you wouldn't be afraid, you wouldn't be discouraged, you wouldn't be dismayed, because, this is the reason why, because the Lord your God is with you to accomplish everything He's called you to accomplish in the name of Jesus. And He said, as I was with Moses, so shall I be with you. And Lord, I thank you that you are putting an anointing on people to do supernatural acts of, of, of courage, supernatural things. It may not even be that... What you're doing is necessarily supernatural, but it might be the repentance thing or, or something you need to do with your children or, or a restoration of a marriage that you need courage for. I, I just have all these things flooding my mind. But whatever it is, it may seem like it doesn't take courage to the people around you, but you're scared to death of it. And God says, no more. No more right now. No more right now. And, and this isn't me saying, get over it. This is the Lord saying, I'm giving you courage to move forward. Move forward. Get out of the boat. Do what I ask you to do. You, you'll, find me, you'll find me on the water. Listen, you won't find me in the boat right now. I'm going to be there later. You'll find me on the water. You get the metaphor. You'll find me on the water. 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 The Lord's saying, you want courage, you'll find me on the water. And I release you to courage right now. But remember, you'll find Him on the water. And Lord, we release that over every single person who's raising their hand in Jesus' name. Be strong and courageous. And the last thing, I want to exhort the body, and, and I, I take this on for myself too. Do, the, you, he, you want to read His Word, meditate on His Word, and do His Word so you can make yourself successful. This is God. God does have a plan for success. What's success look like? I don't know what it looks like in your life, 
well, as soon as you define it, people can disagree. But whatever success is in your life, if you read his word, meditate on his word, remember that means talk to yourself about it, and do his word, then you will make your way successful. And what's the outcome? And you will bring this people into the promised land. How many know you can't be successful without making the people around you successful? God's idea of success is that the other people around you that you're connected with will be successful with you. you listen, there's no such thing as success by yourself in God. <laughs> it's a community. It's a family affair. Your success is their success. And so, Lord, we release that to the body and release it to these folks in Jesus' name. Amen.